Hey everyone, welcome to episode six. This week we are paying tribute to the recently departed RBG, finally tasting monkey shoulder and getting a little soapboxy. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you're hearing, be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and become a supporter at whiskeyqueens.com. Here's the show. Hello. Hello, Nicolas. Uh, welcome to episode six, kids. Episode six, we're like, what, one away from not dying or the death episode or whatever? Yes, we are one episode away from the podcast death episode. Uh, seven is seven's the goalpost. If we we're get past seven, we'll, we'll be okay. We're going to make it, folks. We're going to make it. We are. I'm convinced of it. Uh, how are you doing this fine day? I'm doing delightful. Excellent. How are you doing? Uh, chugging along. Um, you know, we're here, we're drinking whiskey, and we're going to talk about it. So it's going to be good. Oh. So before we jump into anything, uh, Nick, do you want to tell the folks what we're, dr- what we're drinking? Uh, yes. So we went with what we were talking about last week. So last week, we both mentioned Monkey Shoulder. Uh, friends had bought you a bottle. I decided it was prime opportunity to purchase myself a bottle. So we are both drinking Monkey Shoulder, uh, the original, not the smoked. Uh, So it's kind of the traditional Mm. blended malt scotch whiskey. Uh, This one apparently is batch 27. Does Mm -hmm. yours have a batch number? 27. 27, all right, same batch. Um, And like I said, it's the the original blend, not the smoked blend. So I think that'd be interesting to do later on to see what the uh, the differences are between the two of those. It's like we're in the same room drinking the same batch. Uh, thanks to the technology of Zoom. Yay. Uh, so why are you drinking this week? <laughs> like I say every week because I drink. Um, no, you know, there's a lot of reasons uh, to drink this week. Some that are, you know, honoring history, dealing with the challenges and frustration of the current world. Uh, but the one I will choose to highlight at this exact moment in time Uh, is because I just got back from a trip to North Carolina for a friend's backyard social distance wedding. And it was a beautiful, delightful ceremony. These friends, my friends Melanie and Hart, who I used to live with uh, in a group house that we had nicknamed the land of Cambimbia. Uh, That's a longer story, but- um, Story for another time. Story for another time and more, more drinks probably. But- uh, it was their wedding and it was, you know, it was supposed to be in Thailand. Uh, and so I was supposed to go to Thailand for Thanksgiving to celebrate their nuptials. But alas, the COVID has decided that was not in store for 2020. Uh, and so they did this pared down uh, social distance uh, backyard wedding in Raleigh, North Carolina at Hart's parents' house. And it was beautiful. And actually, uh, I think more beautiful than I anticipated. Not that I just didn't anticipate it to be beautiful and a and a emotional ceremony, but you know, I think uh, in the times that we are in and on the heels of you know the the news around Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and just where things are in the world, it was a solid reminder sitting in the backyard with this great group of people, social distanced, of course, with masks on. And a cool, it was a beautiful fall day, so a cool breeze in the air, and Hart and Melanie reciting these beautiful um, vows that they wrote themselves. One could not help but get a little emotional, because I did. Hmm. And also, you know, just sort of pause and recognize that there is still so much 
beauty and love in the world that I think sometimes we forget in, in the hyperbole around the election and social media and, you know, 24 hour news cycles and all that stuff. So that's why I'm drinking. I'm drinking to optimism this week. Look at you pulling silver linings. Yes. How about you? Uh, so uh, the, the general state of the world has me in a place where whiskey is helping. Um, I think trying to play off of your optimism, I took the news of Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing really hard over the weekend when we heard. I mean, you're the one who told me before I even got the CNN alert. Um, and at I'm the basically time, CNN, folks. You are. I typically hear it from you before I hear it from any other news outlet, which makes me wonder what you really do for a nine to five. Um, <laughs> but we were in the backyard having a fire with a friend, and we ended up hearing from other friends that had also become alerted to the news. And we ended up having a few folks over just to kind of do a stitch and bitch or wine and fire and lament. Um, and it ended up turning into a really nice evening of talking about everything else, but what was happening in the world. Uh, so okay. a few of us kind of came together because we were like, Hey, you want a glass of wine and to hang out for a bit because tonight's not a great night. Um, and it turned into a really nice evening. So it was, it was nice to unplug and unwind and not think about what had initially kind of pulled us all together that evening. Um, but overall, this week is just a week, and the monkey shoulder is helping. It's just a week in the year of 2020. That's it for is. Sure. Uh, so, so monkey shoulder, Nick. So monkey shoulder. So, well, before we go into monkey shoulder, we have a grievance from last week. Uh, it's like it's like Festivus up in this thing. So we have a grievance, and we were told by a listener and friend of both of ours that she actually has the perfect old-fashioned recipe that she would have shared with us if we had asked. So I'm gonna share this because it is apparently the perfect blend of an old-fashioned and a Manhattan recipe. Uh, so it's from our friend Michelle, and it is apparently with a lot of research, um, the rule is half a sugar cube doused in three dashes of bitters, two ounces of your preferred whiskey, bourbon or rye, rim the glass with orange, do not garnish it. So for those of you who do not know, that would essentially be taking your orange rind and rubbing that around the glass and then using two Luxardo cherries as garnish. And it's definitely a nice blend in between, I'm told, if you go with the rye versus the bourbon because you get something a little bit more bitter. So that is Michelle's perfect old-fashioned Manhattan recipe that I wanted to share with everyone. And we'll post that on our Insta page, won't we? Yeah, I'll make a little, I'll make a little ditty out of that and put that up on the Insta. We'll give, we'll give her the credits. Yes, credit where credit is due. The uh, first thing I thought when I looked at this recipe was, who the fuck has half a sugar? One, who has sugar cubes? First of all, I, I don't own sugar cubes. I don't really try and keep sugar in my house in the first place. That's and fair. Two, like half a sugar cube, girl, get your alarms together. Sorry, kids. Oh, man. And then, of course, you can't help but giggle as the gay man when you see the word rim. Uh, yes, but I don't know that she actually has sugar cubes in her house. This might be a, she procures them when she feels the need for a drink like this. Um, I'm also gonna call bullshit and say she doesn't have sugar cubes just sitting in her house, but I'm sure I'll hear about it later this week when the episode airs. So, monkey shoulder. 
Uh, monkey shoulder. So to go back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago, I ended up finding this at my local grocery store. Super easy to come by. Was super shocked to find out that it was actually sitting there in Hannaford's on the middle shelf. And I got a bottle for about $33, $31 or $33. Do you know what it is down in your area by chance? I got a bottle for nothing. I shouldn't say nothing. That's really classy. <laughs> for free. I was gifted this delightful bottle by my dear friends, Chris and Ben, uh, who have been listening to this podcast and have uh, developed a newfound affinity for whiskey and trying different whiskeys. And so I'm thoroughly enjoying this and listening. They text me all the time with their trying and recommendations and all this stuff. Uh, so I'm thoroughly enjoying that. So no, they purchased this bottle because uh, they wanted to try it because they heard about it on the podcast that we were previewing it. Uh, okay. And my friend Chris was at a liquor store inside and got it and was like, I got it. So we should try it and then you can have it for the show. And so that's sort of what we did. So I don't know. I haven't done the research. Okay. So up in my area, about 31 to 33 bucks-ish. Um, I'm blanking because I don't have the receipt, but I know it wasn't shockingly expensive. It seems to be nice in the middle there. I so, imagine it's probably somewhere in that range, maybe maybe a little more. I think t things tend to be just slightly uh, more expensive in the district, but... yeah. So we're talking 43% alcohol by volume. Um, it is a blended malt scotch whiskey. Uh, so they actually procure their whiskey from three different distilleries in Scotland. Uh, so it's a blend of Glenfiddich, uh, Belvaney, and Kinivy. Um, I'm probably butchering the name there. You are butchering it all. I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Shut up. Um, but that's, I'm sorry, I'm going to steal your thunder because I learned this fact from you like, 10 minutes ago. Hateful, hateful. And I know, but it's so fun because there's three little monkeys, right? There's three little monkeys all over the bottle and they're cute because who doesn't love monkeys? And there's three of them, so that's nice. But there's a reason there's three. And the reason is because Nick just said it, which is because it's a blended uh, scotch whiskey from those three uh, distilleries. Yeah, and so I thought that was a really fun fact and a really great little marketing ploy. They don't really call attention to it on the bottle. You have to do some digging online to kind of figure it out. Yeah, but it was a nice little thing. So it's on the bottom. The bottom of the bottles are all stamped, and then they have the little metal tag on the bottle with the three monkeys. So it's kind of cool. Um, so it's comprised of those three um, malt scotches. They are then blended in a uh, marrying tub, marrying vat for three to six months. If you are on the website, it says that they sit in that tub for three to six months and quote, make eyes at each other, which I thought was kind of cute. And again, should be on the bottle. So Wait, what? Funny. Yep. The website says that the three whiskeys sit in a marrying tub and make eyes at each other for three to six months. Dirty. Yeah. Filthy dirty, dirty things happening in that marrying tub. Um, but these are all Speyside single malts. So what that means is they're distilled in the um, Straith Spey area, which is on the River Spey in Moray. And that is in the northeastern part of Scotland. And if someone in Scotland is listening to this and I just butchered all of these locations, please let me know. I am trying my hardest to pronounce these. Um, yeah, but, it's, it's challenging. I don't think I've been to that part of Scotland, actually. Yeah, so kind of the upper northeast area when you're looking on a map. The region apparently lends itself to more butterscotch tastes in their whiskeys, just because of the climate and how things typically distill in the region. I don't know that I get butterscotch off of this necessarily. Um, I think it's a pretty simple, pretty approachable taste. I don't necessarily get the butterscotch off of it, but I like it. Um, 
So what is a Marion cask, you ask? Uh, it's basically a cask where they will finish off and mature whiskeys that have gone through the initial blending process. So they'll take these maturated whiskeys from Glenfiddich and from these other distilleries, they'll put them in a Marion cask and then let them sit there, like I said, to make eyes at each other for three to six months. Um, but monkey shoulder, do you remember what monkey shoulder actually means? So I do. I do because we talked about it in episode four if memory serves me correctly, which is when we talked about Copper Fox Distillery in Virginia. Um, ooh, pop that bottle. Um, and it's basically, so back in the day, people used to uh, turn the, the maturing, the malting uh, barley or oats or whatever they use, I don't remember. Because um, I'm a great whiskey queen, everybody. Oh, sweet um, Jesus. I know, right? Because uh, they used to do that by hand, by shovel, right? And so, mm -hmm. from my understanding, it's a condition that the men who used to uh, turn around the malts or you know spread around and whatever you want to call it, uh, the malts would develop because they essentially perform the same re repetitive motion every day for hours on end, and they named that sort of medical condition monkey shoulder. Yeah. That's exactly correct. So maltmen essentially, they just keep doing the same thing. We're talking way before we had a weekend. So seven days a week for 10, 12 hours a day, they're sitting there on the malting floor, flipping the barley as it's starting to go through the sprouting process. Um, and then they would have this kind of elongated arm that hung down a little bit, kind of like a monkey's arm. Um, so they gave it this really terrible name. <laughs> but then they made a whiskey out of it. But then they made a whiskey out of it. So An homage to history. Yeah, an homage to history and what happens when you don't have a union or labor laws. Sorry, I'm still not on that silver lining page that you are today. Well, um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm silver lined through everything. Mm. You know, I, I am a realist. Oh, fair enough. But the company in an email from a customer in 2012 did confirm that they do add caramel coloring to this. Uh, the caramel coloring is E105A. That's the approved caramel coloring that they will use in Scotland in some other whiskeys. And the reason they do this is typically because they want to ensure consistency in the coloring across the different bottles that they're putting out or across the different batches. So mm -hmm. my batch 26 looks like your batch 27, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, I thought you had batch 27. I do. I'm speaking in hypotheticals. Well, don't be all hypothetical. If I was to have a bottle of 26, me. it would look like you're 27. Because you're just confusing me when you don't, when you don't inform me of the hypothetical... I'm not motions. confusing you. You're pre-gaming. Hypothetical motion. If people want to head over to Instagram, you might still be able to catch Paul's pre-game party that's been posted to our story as well. What, and if you don't was, follow us on Instagram, we are at the Whiskey Queens on Instagram. What was the word you used? Um, to describe your Instagram pre-game party? No, no, to say how to go over there. I don't know. What did I say? It sounded like rad over. If you got, if you got a rad over, but I think you meant head over, but head I don't over. know. It's entirely possible. Um, so they do use caramel coloring though. And the reason for that is, is a lot of the times, not a lot of the times, all the time, they're using ex-bourbon barrels. And when you first mm. have a charred bourbon barrel and they're used here in the States, that's when you're going to get the most color and the most flavor out of the barrel. So then once that barrel is sent off to Scotland to be used for scotch, they're not pulling as much color, as much flavor out of the barrel because it's already been used once. So there's less consistency and less intensity in the color that the scotch can pull out of the barrel. So they try and use the caramel coloring to correct for that as much as they possibly can. 
Um, see, or, I see. Yeah, you won't get caramel coloring here in the States. It is just a no-no. Uh, whereas in Scotland and in other countries, it is typically allowed, um, but you see it most in Scotch is my understanding. So the official tasting notes on these are, um, for tasting, you should be picking up on kind of a light vanilla and some spicy hints, which I get. I think their tasting notes on the bottle are pretty damn generic, um, but they're not wrong either. Um, on the nose, we should be getting things like orange, vanilla honey, um, spiced oak. I get the vanilla, I get the little bit of spiciness. To me, this smells, or the volume on the smell is turned way up, the volume on the taste is turned way down. Like when I smell this, I expect it to have more flavor and it doesn't. So it falls a little flat for me. I don't dislike it. I think it's actually really easy to drink, especially for what my assumption is about what a scotch tastes like. This is super, super approachable for someone who might not be a huge whiskey person just yet. What are your initial takeaways from this? I know you're probably not super in love with this and watching your face. I'm not. I'm not gonna say I'm not super in love. I feel I feel bad being harsh and critiquing these people I just tagged <laughs> in an Instagram story. Um, but alas, it is not my favorite. Um, it does have, I don't know what your sense of it is, but I feel like there is a strong burn on the end. Yeah, it's a little alcoholic. I mean, it's 43%, so it could be a little higher. And... I'm I feel like glass. most of the ones I've had that we've talked about previously are around there or higher in ABV, or at least around there. And yeah. so I'm not like, so here, here's the thing. When I tried this first with my friends, Chris and Ben at their house, we were doing sort of a, sm a tasting of three different uh, whiskeys. And this one was the last one. And okay. in retrospect, it probably shouldn't have been the last one because I don't think any of the flavors that came uh, or the tasting notes that came through for, and for the three of us uh, worked for us as the last whiskey. Yeah. Um, were the other whiskeys, out of curiosity, were the other whiskeys stronger or smokier or just more so intense? So what we tried that night, we tried Isaac Bowman which is a straight bourbon whiskey finished in port barrels. Okay. I can't remember exactly where it's from, but it's a small batch basically. And it is a pretty, I would say it's a pretty standard uh, bourbon, bourbon where I wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, taken aback by the flavors or anything like that. The middle, the, the next one that we had actually, Nick, was Redbreast. Ooh. is a single pot still Irish whiskey. It was the 12, the, age 12 years. A 12 year. I love red breast. Delicious. Yes. And then we followed that up with monkey shoulder. Okay. And, and so I'm sure as you can imagine going from red breast to monkey shoulder was like night and day. And yeah. I, th I think that sort of influenced our, our original, you know, tasting. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? What do you call it? Like anal analysis. That's the only word that comes to mind. Our tasting analysis. Um, That's totally of, fair. I mean, you were sitting down to kind of monkey shoulder. Get a feel for it. Yeah, I yeah. totally see this falling flat after drinking something like red breast. I mean, you think of a bourbon, you think kind of like heavy and sweet. Um, at least I do. I think heavy, I think sweet. Um, with Irish mm -hmm. whiskeys, they're usually a little lighter. They're super approachable. They're a little, little on the floral side. Um, so I can see where this 
definitely would fall flat after that. So where we were, sorry to interrupt, in that tasting session was, you know, we finished the red breast, we all like the red breast. Yeah. And then we pop the monkey shoulder and we smell it. And like I told you before we started the show, I think the, uh, what do you call it? The nose notes? Is that what you call it? Yeah, nose notes. The nose notes on, it smells incredible, mm-hmm. right? It smells like, it, it, you know, I get, actually I could, you know, between the orange and the honey, it could have, if you just smell it really fast, it could be a bit butter, like a smell, like a hint of butterscotch. Okay. Uh, but it smelled, I, I was super excited because it smelled great. But then as you sort of noted that the taste and the smell don't necessarily align with this particular whiskey. So at least the, for me, let me make a caveat for me. Yeah, I don't mind it. And like I said, I've always had this notion in the back of my head that scotches are all really intense and really heavy and really smoky. And I'm obviously dead wrong uh, because it, it, it has to be, it has to go through that kind of process and not all scotches are smoky, which is lovely to, to discover. I so like I it. I will say that like the Oban and the Talisker that I had at the outset of our uh, series aren't heavy on the smoke either. No, no. I like this because it's, it's easy to drink. I don't need to think too hard. It's not, I don't dislike it. It's something that I probably would throw in a cocktail or it's something that I would probably add some ice to and sip on without thinking too much about it. Whereas something like red breast, I want to sit and enjoy and think about it. So I'm probably under the same guise. I think it'd be great in a cocktail. Oh, this is definitely one that, you know, I'm drinking it straight up because I think for the show, we try and you know, try to get the, the, the most out of the flavor and the smell as we can and not dilute it necessarily with ice. Yeah. Um, but this is definitely one that in sort of a casual setting, I would throw ice in. Yeah, I'm on the same page. And they do bill it as something that's great for mixing cocktails. And to me, the second a whiskey distillery is telling you this is best in a cocktail or we recommend that you mix it with a cocktail, I think they're kind of gently implying that it might not carry itself by comparison to other whiskeys. It's meant to be blended with things. Um, and the recipes on the website are pretty stellar. Um, so if you head over to monkeyshoulder.com, their website is definitely marketing heavy. It's loud and it's very visual and they only have a few pages. Um, but the cocktail recipes are pretty great. They have a lazy old fashioned, which is a lazy old a lazy old fashioned. The world's favorite drink faster. What you will need: uh, monkey shoulder, sugar syrup, two dashes of bitters, orange zest. I'm not sure how that's any faster than a regular old fashioned, but that's what they're telling me here on the yeah, website. Yeah, I don't. Uh, and who has sugar water or whatever <laughs> sugar syrup or whatever they? Say. I don't have simple syrup in my house. Um, but no, I could be down with this, as we've talked about. We don't like the sweet beverages so much. Not so much. But in the summer, I could be down with a monkey splash, which is scotch and soda and a little slice of monkey heaven. I'm telling you, I swear to God, this is what the website says. So that's monkey shoulder, soda or club soda and an orange wedge. And that sounds super refreshing with this whiskey with club soda. It does actually. So I could be really into that. And there's a few more. So I encourage folks to pop over to their website. Um, they have a monkey culotta, which not my jam. Um, and they also have an espresso martini recipe, which I just clicked on, Ooh. which is monkey shoulder, strong espresso, tia maria, and dash of sugar syrup to taste, which I probably would uh, leave off the sugar syrup. Let me tell you, 
that at this wedding, sorry, to, I don't know why I'm saying sorry to interrupt, fuck that. Um, at this wedding that I went to in North Carolina, of course there was a bar and homegirl went straight up there and was like, you know what I'm gonna drink tonight? <laughs> I, I started with Manhattans and for a couple reasons. One, they had Woodford Reserve on the bar and I was like, make my Manhattan with Woodford Reserve too, as we've discussed in, the, in practically every episode. I'm a Manhattan boy through and through. Yes. And three, uh, the groom's mother made uh, the brandied cherries. Oh, really? And so delicious. Holy and shit. hopefully it was brandy. I think it was brandy. Um, and I'm not getting it wrong. But of course I'd be like, oh my God, well, I have to try Ainsley's cherries. So maybe- I would have expected like just cheap maraschino cherries. No, 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 this is, we are not, okay. Okay, sorry, We're gonna get married in Thailand, okay? True, okay. Not that like Hart and Melanie are like super wealthy. It's part of it was Melanie's, you know, family's from Thailand. But aside from that, the Manhattan was delicious. The bartender okay. was lovely. Um, but the whole point to bring this story full circle, because the whole point of the story was that um, we had the bartender make, and by we, it wasn't me, uh, had the bartender make espresso martinis uh, later that evening, which were delicious. I do love a good espresso martini. And I feel me like this too. would blend well, because it's light enough. It's not like we've said, it's not a super heavy, super overpowering whiskey. So I feel like mm-hmm. this would go really well with espresso. Um, to be totally honest, I don't know what Tia Maria is in terms of a liquor. So I'm going to Google that real quick on the Google box because I'm curious exactly what they have us blending fun. with. And it only sounds fun because it's like, it sounds like a pop star or something. Oh, it's a Yo dark girl, coffee listen, liqueur. listen, it's a Tia Maria. It's a dark coffee liqueur. Okay, yeah, I could totally be down with this. Okay, replace Kahlua. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it seems like to be as a, an alternative to Kahlua. Which, side note for folks, as I told Nicholas years ago, if you like a Kahlua in cream, you should try a Kahlua in almond milk. Less calories, just delicious. I haven't had one of those in... A fucking hot minute. Neat, I forgot yeah. how good those are. They're delicious. Mostly it's because Kahlua. Well, let me let me clarify, folks. Less <laughs> calorie because you're not consuming the caloric intake and fat of milk. It's almond milk. I mean, Kahlua is still, you know, mm-hmm. high in the calories and the sugar and the booze. So anyway, enough about my calorie intake or your calorie intake, because who the fuck's tracking mine? I sure as hell am not. One of the things that we sort of received from a listener or I I received uh, from a friend and listener uh, who is generous with suggestions, which I greatly appreciate, was sort of thinking about ideas that we could add, like segments we could add periodically into the show. And one of the ones he named that we will work on the name, I I don't know if 100% sold on the name, but it's something we we could play around with, which was you deserve a dram, right? Which is basically like you deserve a toast or you know, toasting to something that's, you know, political, cultural, historic in the moment. Um, And so I said to Nick before we started the show, I think this is a great sort of segment to to introduce some sort of segment of this nature with a focus on our, I was going to say our dear friend. I don't, I don't know why I say dear friend. I say dear friend about everybody and they're really 
you know, I don't know them, but uh, you think you know them, right? Because of media coverage and whatnot. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the justice uh, who passed away on September 18th, uh, very, very much so deserving of a, a toast or a dram or a shot or whatever you wanna raise your glass to her for. Um, I'm sure as all of you have heard or watched or everything, uh, she passed away on September 18th. You know, she lived a full life. She was born in uh, March 15th of 1933 in Brooklyn, New York, and has a amazing legal history under her name and including fighting for gender rights, uh, even before she was uh, seated on the Supreme Court or the federal bench. She is the co-founder of the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU, and during that time, where she worked at the ACLU and, and also taught at Rutgers, she sort of helped to create this entire architect of litigation before the Supreme Court to fight for gender equality. It's an incredible story. And there's you know a great documentary about her called RBG that I encourage folks to watch. And also, if a documentary is not necessarily your cup of tea, uh, you can also watch a movie uh, called On the Basis of Sex, which is about the work that she did uh, related to fighting for gender equality and sort of uh, it outlines sort of the beginning of her career at the ACLU. Yeah, that so, was a really good movie. I haven't seen the documentary yet, but I have seen On the Basis of Sex. Um, and that one, I believe, is Felicity Jones and Army Hammer. And that was a really well done movie. Yeah. And I feel like it was a really good, entertaining easy way to start to understand the formative years around her career and the sure. direction that it eventually took. So I totally second that. I think that's an, an awesome it, entryway for folks it, who want to learn a little bit more about her. Sure. And I would encourage everyone, regardless of where you fall in the political spectrum, because to, to learn a little bit more about her role in history, right? You may not necessarily agree with sort of how she ruled or was portrayed as ruling when she was on the, the bench of the Supreme Court as a liberal justice. But she has, you know, worked for gender equality and a lot of the rights and privileges that are afforded uh, to women now are a result of some of her work. And it's, it's truly, you know, she truly is a historic figure, you know, and with, with that in mind, I encourage people to you know, not rely on the interpretations provided by their select media coverage or social media about a particular historical figure and actually do your own research and do some reading. I know we don't like to read, but reading is important. And I encourage you to read from a variety of sources as well. Yeah. I'm not gonna take a step down off of my, my, my soapbox related to that, but before I do, I raise my glass to the dearly departed Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Agreed. Slanja. And for those of you who do not trade in Irish, that is, oh, one more. Uh, that is cheers in Irish. And actually, there's a whole variety of different ways we can say that. But I agree. I think it was, it was really tough to hear this weekend, not only because she was an amazing person, but because there's some political fallout that sure. is now tied to that. Um, but we'll get through it. We, we always do in one way, shape, or form. I'm going to get on my side. I lied. I took a step down and I'm going to take a back. Getting step back, back on that soapbox? On my soapbox. And the only thing that I want to say, and you know what? If you don't want to hear this, you have the ability to stop 
the podcast yep. uh, for folks. But the only thing I want to say is, you know, of course, there's a political fight happening over the Supreme Court seat. And, you know, to a degree to be expected. But one of the things that I find frustrating, discouraging, and not only in the current political context, but it pre it predates Trump, it, it, it to a degree predates Obama and those eras too. It's sort of been a, a long arc that's been happening is, you know, the idea of a scorched earth approach to politics and this concept of playing constitutional brinkmanship, if you will, um, these are some concepts that if you haven't had the opportunity to read an uh, interesting book called How Democracy Dies, I would encourage you to do so. I mean, some people are like, I can't read that. It's too close to hard, too traumatizing. But it's actually really interesting because, yeah, you know, for those of you who may be on the right and, and supportive of the president and the, the GOP, you know, there may be parts of this book that are framed in ways you may not particularly like. Sure, whatever, I gotcha. But there's a lot in the book that provides, I think, strong lessons to be learned from other democracies around the world, right? Because we as the United States in our foreign policy really promoted replicating sort of our similar model of democracy in a lot of South American countries and a lot, and there are a number of instances, not only in South America, in Latin America, in Europe, where you can sort of see the, the trend line of how democracies with constitutional brinkmanship and other sort of scorched earth approaches can be destabilized. I know we like to paint this whole picture that you know the American constitutional democracy is this unbreakable thing, but I would, I would like to just remind folks that the constitution is nothing but words on a paper, right? And so in order to adhere to the values and the words of the document and the spirit of the document, it requires having some sort of guardrails of democracy, you know, institutional norms and those sorts of things. Without any of that, right, none of this will sustain itself. And so with that, I encourage people to listen, to learn, to read, to seek out alternative news sources. And by alternative news sources, I don't mean like, uh, you know, things on 4chan or Infowars or any of that stuff. I mean, you know, try and consume your news from various sources so you can, you can comprise yourself of different political perspectives. This is also coming on the heels of watching The Social Dilemma which I encourage Nick to watch, and he, I'm sure, can speak agnosium to his feelings on that. But with that note, learn, read, vote, period. I'm done. I am now officially stepping out from my soapbox because I went on for like 20 minutes. There you go. Um, and I know you said people don't love to read, and I think it's a byproduct of kind of a very digital, very fast, soundbitey world that we live in. So when you're diversifying your news sources, it really can be as simple as, because we all read in 140 characters or less now, it can really be as simple as adding a few folks you might disagree with on Twitter so you simply can see a conflicting viewpoint. You don't have to agree with it, and I'm not saying go in the comments because the comment section is just where where happiness goes to die. But if you can add a few folks that you disagree with and have a little bit of diversity of thought and keep it into a, a small format like Twitter or even Facebook, follow some folks you disagree with versus kind of living in a sound chamber. Or uh, it's, it's hard and it sucks to have to look at the other viewpoint even when we adamantly disagree with them. And I think they're wrong generally, but it helps remind us that 
our thoughts, not the only thoughts out there in the world. I second that. And will also say, because apparently I'm full of things to say today, um, that I would encourage folks in light of what Nick said is also to, you know, watch if you are interested, The Social Dilemma, which is a documentary on Netflix, mostly because it helps to explain how some of the algorithms and AI works related to social media, which will only sort of, I think, emphasize Nick's point, which is to add a few people who may not necessarily fall in your normal repertoire or sort of populate in your auto feed or the feed that is generated for you by the, the artificial intelligence programming yeah. that's built into all of social media platforms. Yeah, so. definitely watch it. It's a little sensationalized. Um, some of the, there's some acting interwoven into the documentary portion oh of it. Oh my God. Can I just say that it took me about maybe halfway through before I realized that they, I was like, what movie is this from? And then I was like, the shame from a movie. They made this for the documentary, which, yep. you know, I have certain feelings about it, but I think they were trying to find an easy way to portray. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the information they were sharing. Um, again, you know, no documentary that you're going to watch is, you know, nothing that is presented to you is presented to you without some sort of agenda. Yeah, it has a slant. It definitely has a slant. But I think the, the God, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the dramatizations, if you will, help make it more digestible for folks who might not want to sit and just watch an hour and a half of straight documentary. So I think it made it a little bit more digestible. It definitely is a little sensationalized, but it does add a really interesting perspective about how we essentially are being placed in little insulated sound chambers and we're not hearing outside thoughts beyond what a lot of the times an algorithm is telling us that we want to hear. Sure. Um, But we've covered a lot today. We did, and I'm sorry, folks. I'm really not sorry, but I'm a little sorry because I know I get a little soapboxy at times. Um, She's passionate. She's passionate. I am passionate. With that in mind, Nick, do you have a a sense of what you plan on or plan on drinking next week or what we should sort of do? Because we've we've done things a little differently um, because we're experimenting, right? This is a new podcast. We're trying to figure out our flow and also because we're not independently wealthy. And so we can't just, you know, travel around the country just yet. Uh, procuring bottles here and there to taste. Um, Do you have anything in mind for next week? I do. I'm sticking in my liquor cabinet and it's either going to be, it's going to be Irish because those are the two things I have because I just bought a new bottle. So I'm going to try to avoid buying another new bottle. Um, So it's either going to be classic Jameson or it's going to be Green Spot, which is also from the Middleton distilleries. So it'll be one of those two, just so I can uh, keep costs down, if you will. Gotcha. How about you? I'm going to be doing local uh, okay. in episode seven uh, as we sort of hit that um, that key demarker, right? Because we're going to soar mm-hmm. past that death episode, folks. Um, and I'm going to do something from One Eight uh, Distilling, which yeah, One Eight Distilling, which is a local uh, distillery here in the District of Columbia. Okay. Uh, so I'll be drinking their rye and giving a little history on that. Okay, awesome. So next week, we're going to return to a little bit more of our classic format, two different whiskeys from two different perspectives. And uh, thanks. It's been good. It's, it's been great. I feel like that's how I always end this episode. It's been great. It has. Bye, everyone. Go forth, listeners. 
Learn, listen, and read. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>